0: Be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You may be seated. Just a few announcements. Do
1: we have it on? Can you hear me? Uh, well, I just wing it. I want to thank... Uh Testimony today. Um, As my story unfolds, I want it's a little bit different from the other testimonies that you've heard in uh, previous weeks. As my testimony centers on God's righteous discipline in my life. And make no mistake about it, this is not about Benny, this is about God and the work of his hands. After being a Christian for almost 25 years, and instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my life, instead of using discernment in my life, I had allowed my selfish desires to direct my paths. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, It leads to death. As a young boy, I was a product of a broken home. And one of the things that I got and I learned from that is I said to myself, man, this stinks. And I was determined that if I ever got married and had children, that that was going to be the focus. It was going to be a focal point in my life. I wanted to be the best father that I never had. And I did not know it at the time, but God was working in my life. I had a mother who, in the early 1960s, after being divorced, somehow she managed to get us into a Christian school at at, at the third grade. And that led to good things because it led to having good friends. It led to, you know, staying out of trouble. And, again, I did not know it at the time, but God was working in my life. I got to high school. And with a desire to fit in, I began to use alcohol. And I was involved in a lifestyle that was not conducive to living long. And one of my best friends ended up in prison, and another one died. He lost his life. Again, I did not know it, but God was working in my life. After that happened, I did what nobody in their right mind would do. With just $300 between my wife and myself, we decided to get married. Now, the $300 no is not a reflection on me or any success that I've had in my life. It's to show and demonstrate God's faithfulness when we're obedient. I got married, and shortly after that, I had my first child. Man, this brought stability in my life. For for the first time, I had stability in my life. And I was uh, I come from a Roman Catholic background, so she was baptized in a, in a church, in a Roman Catholic church. And then I was invited to go to Good News Bible Church. And I was open to it. And we came to Good News Bible Church. I immediately noticed, Wow, man, you know, this service is different. You know, uh, I had met really good friends, and... Like Ruben and Eva, Ben and Josie, Marcelino and Santia, Lewis and Judy Pacheco, Sonny and Jesse, Neda and Jaime Reyes, Victor and Gladys Rivera, and Joey Perez, who to me was the perfect example of the Christian struggle in God's grace. These were young people, young like me, but they were different. They were different because they wanted to live for Christ. I said, wow, man, that's different. Man, I, I want to be part of that. And that, when I con- became a Christian, was the start of just many, many blessings in my life. But shortly after having my first child, my wife had difficulty uh, conceiving again. And I earnestly came before the Lord, and he answered my prayers. My son, Benjamin, was born in 1983. We had purchased a new home. In 1987, I was accepted into the Chicago Police Department. And I was immediately put into the Henry Horner homes, which at that time, arguably, the most violent housing projects in the nation. And Somehow, the Lord sustained me through all of that. Again, this became the start of many blessings in my life. I had, when I purchased my new home, I had found out that, gee, one of the spiritual gifts that God gave me was he gave me gifted hands. I It doesn't matter what it is. Put it before me, I'll fix it. Chances are I'm going to fix it. And then my wife's career started to take off. She, she began working at the William Wrigley Jr. Company and worked her way up to be the professional recruiter. Was earning a great salary and then one point she came home and said after 1989 when my third child was born, Marissa she came to me and said I want to stay home and raise the kids I said what? I took out my calculator started calculating being a good Christian, putting the budget together and I was $900 short I said Carmen could you please work one more year so we can pay some of these bills she said no I said, okay, we're going to be obedient. That's what God put on your heart. We're going to do it. And she had, you know, some little stocks, a little savings she had, you know, at the company. Took it, paid the penalty, and I purchased the property right down the street on North, Carolina, North California Avenue. Because I knew that I couldn't go from her salary to zero. I figured, you know, if I got some income, I'll, I'll, I'll fill in the blanks somewhere in between. But being part of the Chicago Police Department, you know, I wanted to fit in. Started to consume alcohol more and more. And uh, I started having my struggles, you know. But at church, man, I was serving as a deacon. I was leading the men's Bible study. I was really, really, really involved. And at one point, after a failed uh, merger attempt with Salem here, Salem, Evangelical here, Pastor Wayne had, and I started discussing along with Nathan... Uh, the possibility of merging again. And so we had decided to approach Rick Lexby. Now I want to take time right now to pay tribute to some of the guys in my study, especially Rick. Because you have Rick, you have Gary Mosbach, there's uh, Dwight Mayberry. These are men that, in spite of this neighborhood changing, the over 100-year history of this church They stood the test. They never let go. They were determined to stay here in this neighborhood and make this church a viable part of this community. Later on, when we merged, Pastor Chuck, even after retiring, continues to serve in a great manner, you know, here at Good News Bible Church. These are men that are determined to just move God and his church forward. Regardless, serving God, I was serving God more and more in the church, more and more, and the the blessings just continued to pour. They were so great that at the age of 51, I was going to retire from my job. Had all the pieces of the puzzle were in place. They just merely had to fit together. more reason to drink and be merry then began a series of setbacks you see Proverbs 16 9 is clear in his heart a man plans his course but the Lord determines his steps now you men out there especially you young men I want you to listen I want you to listen very very carefully to what I have to say you see, it didn't matter that I was a Christian and I'm called to live by the Holy Spirit. I should have used a sermon in my life. See, it didn't matter that I had served the Lord in so many ways. It didn't matter that I could possibly hurt somebody with my alcohol consumption. After all, I have insurance. You see, it didn't matter that I could lose my job because... God had given me gifted hands. I'll, I'll earn a living, you know, whatever. It just didn't matter that I could bring shame upon my children, my family, or my friends. Because, you see, God calls them to love me regardless. It didn't matter that God's greatest blessing in my life, my wife, continually came to me and told me concerning, he gave me warnings concerning my welfare and my uh, compromise before the Lord. You see, it just didn't matter. It didn't matter because Benny, like some of you out there, I had my own agenda. And nobody, nobody was going to tell me how to live my life. No one was going to tell me how to live my life. At one point, my wife, I was serving as a As an elder at the time, my wife came before me and says, you know what, I'm going to take this to Pastor Wayne and the board. And I simply told her, so what? Go ahead. I'll just simply resign. What could they do to me then? You see the arrogance? You see the arrogance? Well, as some of you know, some of you that don't know, I was involved in a very serious automobile accident in uh, January 11th of 2008, in which I was found laying face down on the expressway. These are some of the results of it. See inside of my car. This is the jacket that I had on. This is me. I had eight serious injuries that would have caused great bodily harm, paralysis, and almost certainly death. At this point, everything had to go right in order for me to live. I was transported to Northwestern Memorial Hospital. I was not breathing on my own. And at one point, my wife requested towel and solution to clean my face. And she lovingly and tenderly cleaned my face. In the event that if I died, at least I would look presentable before my children. Now, earlier in my testimony, I mentioned to you that my wife had difficulty conceiving. What I failed to mention was the fact that when I earnestly came before the Lord, I asked him. I said, Lord, if you bless me with the son, I will quit drinking. And he kept his end of the bargain. And I kept mine... For a little period of time. But I never let go of the fact, even when I drank, that, hey, man, I had made this promise, this vow, a covenant with God. That He had kept His end, but I didn't. And I was getting ready to uh, go with Nathan on a missions trip to the Philippines. And that's when God made it clear. That day I had my accident, he made it clear. Today, you're not going to go over to the Philippines and serve me, make a fool, mockery out of me. Today is the day that you're going to know that I am God, and you're going to honor me. He was patient for over 24 and a half years. You see, we serve a righteous God. And he disciplines us righteously. Who of you out there disciplines his children unrighteously? Raise your hand. Show me. Not one. It's God's righteous discipline. Psalm one hundred seven seventeen says, Some became fools through their re- rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. You see, my testimony... It's not only about God's righteous discipline in my life, but it's also about His grace and His mercy. In God's infinite wisdom, He will grant us all grace. He will not grant us all mercy. On that day, He granted me mercy. And I fully and completely understand that. And I never let go of it. When something like this happens to you, and if you you earnestly come before the Lord and you ask him why why did this happen to me he'll reveal to you why but there's only one problem you're not going to like what he's got to say so therefore God made it clear to me that he didn't spare my life because of what I've done for him how I served him I helped other people that's not why he spared my life he made it clear you see when I was at Northwestern Memorial Hospital he observed his people assemble and he heard their cries their petitions and their prayers on my behalf and he found favor in them he made it clear I'm going to answer the prayers of my people. And therefore, I'm going to spare your life. And shortly after that, he said, you're going to come clean. You're going to call every single deacon. This was within a matter of days. You're going to call every deacon. You're going to call every elder. And you're going to explain to them why this happened to you. You talk about being humble. No police officer wants to be DUI. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was over the limit and then that was another thing I had to face with the department that I got through. That I was able to keep my job. And I want to close. I want you to reference. Again, my, my testimony is based on Psalm 50. I want you to read that. But I also turn to Psalm 118 verse 16 to 18. It says that the Lord's right hand Is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has tested me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Every night, my job, my current job, Department of City, Chicago, Chicago Police Department, is I'm out there in these violent and conflict zones where there's documented shootings each and every night I work. Almost every night I see somebody die. And we handle weapons discharge incidents for the department. You are constantly in danger. As I tell people, I'm in the jaws of death every night. But God sustains me he will sustain you also. I encourage any of you men out there to join our study. To come amongst some older men and become part of our study to see the work of God's hands. Thank you.
2: During the bitter conflict of the American Civil War, Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation. It read, On the first day of January, in the year of our Lord, 1863, all persons held as slaves within any state shall be now and forever free. Everyone who had been called a slave was now free. It was a good proclamation. A declaration of freedom for thousands of slaves in America. Individuals for who, who, for all of their lives, lived as the property of others, were now free. But the emancipation of slaves was not instantaneous. On January 1st, 1863, on the very day this proclamation was to be put into order, there were still thousands of slaves in the South. It's true that most of the reason for this was that there were still Confederate states, Southern states, that were in conflict in the Civil War and were rebelling against the President's order. As the states in the Confederacy surrendered, then the armies were able to come in and ensure that the slaves would be freed. But there were still several states that remained controlled by and in support of the Confederacy. Then on April 9th, 1865, two years after the proclamation had been issued, general robert e lee the commander of the confederate armies surrendered And one month later the new president of the united states issued uh, declared an official end to the civil war still the freeing of slaves did not happen immediately afterwards in western texas for instance freed persons continued being named and owned as slaves well after the war. It was as if the news of victory and freedom hadn't yet arrived to the rest of the country. Despite the proclamation of freedom, those who had been set free persisted in their slavery. Free people, people who had by law become liberated from slavery, continued to live under their oppressive masters. There is a great similarity between the events of 1863 and our experience in 2014. There has been a proclamation issued from heaven. Jesus, our Savior and King, has issued a decree. Anyone who has placed their trust in Him for salvation has been freed from the power of sin and death. There is no condemnation for anyone who has believed in Jesus. Jesus said, "I I have come to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set free those who have been oppressed. Despite this incredible proclamation, many of us, believers of Jesus, continue to live in our former slavery. We, free people, by the grace of God, walk as if we are still under the control of sin and death. And it doesn't make any sense. Freed people living under their old masters, not realizing that God has declared victory, we persist and submit ourselves to the rule of the old law. Changed people living as if change has yet to come. And there are even some of us here today, people who have heard the good proclamation of Jesus, uh, we refuse to submit to God's new law and instead we insist on imposing old standards. We say to ourselves and to those around us, God would not be pleased with us. God would not be pleased with you unless we are able to prove our worth by doing things and, and saying the right things and obeying certain rules. Say these things to ourselves, there is only freedom for those who free themselves by working and doing. And what we find in the end is that even though freedom has been offered and proclaimed by God, we end up submitting ourselves again to slavery. I want to remind you this morning, like the general who entered Texas in 1865, that there is good news of freedom. I want to inform you this morning that you have been claimed by God and there is now freedom for you. I want to tell you that if you have been named as a child of God, you were born to freedom, not slavery. This central claim, this important message comes to us from the book of Galatians. In our passage, the Apostle Paul informs us of our identity as the children of freedom first by telling us an old story. He then tells us this story and reveals to us that this old story is actually our story, a sort of origin narrative that in the end instructs us in our freedom. So, would you look with me in the book of Galatians, chapter 4 verses 21 to the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through chapter 5, verse 1. Would you follow along with me as I read from Galatians 4, verse 21? Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, but she corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be no more, will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, He who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. But what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again. the yoke of slavery our identity as children of freedom begins with this old story it's an old story with a familiar character Abraham if you followed along with us in the book of Galatians you know that Abraham has been a key figure within Paul's conversation to those in Galatia the natural question becomes why has Abraham become so important The reason that Abraham is so important is because Paul is writing to a community that has been in conflict over the identity of God's people. One of the main concerns of this letter is whether someone who has received Christ can be named as belonging to the family of God. As we've heard before, there were, according to Paul's opponents, two groups. Jewish Christians who belong to the family of God and non-Jewish Christians who needed to do certain things to guarantee their place before God. Justification, a right standing before God, was achieved only by obeying the Jewish law. So throughout the first three chapters of this letter, Paul has vehemently denied such claims and has argued that all who believe in Jesus as their Savior, are justified and accepted into God's family. There is nothing that can be added or should be added as the means to guarantee our position before God. For Paul's opponents, the, the key was Abraham. Abraham was the father of all who were blessed by God. Abraham's children were, by extension of God's faithfulness, God's children. If you belong to Abraham, you belong to God. So much of this debate has to do with who belongs to Abraham and therefore who belongs to God. But Paul says, let's remember the story. Abraham had two children. And so he says to the sort of tongue-in-cheek, almost as a taunt, he says... You who put all of your confidence in the law. You who, who affirm that the law should be the way that you receive blessing from God. Do you not even listen to the law? Look at the law itself. It tells us the story of Abraham and his two children. It says that Abraham was called by God, received a promise from God, and he received this blessing that he would be blessed and all of his descendants would be blessed but there was a problem abraham didn't have any children abraham was old his wife sarah was old too and with all due respect old people don't go and have a bunch of children there was a problem for abraham in that he received this promise of children And he didn't see a way for that to happen. So Abraham heard this promise, but he believed God. He had faith, even if it was a flawed faith. Abraham and his wife Sarah's faith was not always perfect. One significant example of this flawed faith was that Sarah decided that she would bring about God's promises by her own means. She would take matters into her own hands. She said, since God hasn't allowed me to have a child, as he promised, let me bring this about in my own doing. So she brought forward her slave woman, Hagar, and said to Abraham, here's my servant, go and, and have a baby with her. And Abraham did. The slave woman was, uh, became pregnant, and she bore a child, and she named him Ishmael. And you can imagine as the story unfolds that this was not the ideal situation for any family. God appeared to Abraham and he reminded him of the promised blessing. God appeared to Abraham and he said to him, I am God Almighty and I make a promise with you. He said, I will make you a father of many nations and will bless you and your descendants. And I will give you a son and bless all of his descendants. And Abraham was astonished. He responded, God, I'm too old. Won't you take Ishmael as my heir and bless him? But God made a promise to Abraham and He told him that it was his wife, Sarah, that would be the one to have the son through this promise and that he would be the one who received the inheritance and the blessing that God wanted for Abraham's descendants. So several years later, when Abraham and Sarah were even older, God visited Sarah and he blessed her so that she might be able to conceive. Just as he had promised Sarah in her old age, gave birth to a son. And Abraham named him Isaac, just as God had told him. And so it was that Abraham came to have two sons. One was born as a result of human efforts, an old couple's attempts at securing God's blessing. And the other was born as a result of a promise, made by and fulfilled by God. Paul reminds us that this story is to illustrate the reality that there are two sons in the family of Abraham, and the two are not equal in God's plan of salvation and blessing. The two were born as a result of two very different circumstances. It would follow then that not all of Abraham's children are the children of God. And Paul's opponents would agree. They're, you're right, Abraham, they would say, or, or, or Paul, they would say. That's, that's why non-Jewish Christians have to become Jews. They have to submit to the Mosaic Law so that they can go from being like Ishmael to being like Isaac, recipients of God's blessing. Paul says, no, 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 not so fast. See, you've got to really look at this story and interpret it correctly to be able to see your place in this story. It says, this is an old story, yes, but this story is actually our story. It's a sort of origin story. Now, look at the second part of this passage, beginning in verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. The story about Abraham's family is actually a story about us. Not only does the story teach us about faith and fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, it also makes sense of our own experience as God's children. Paul says this can be interpreted allegorically. In other words, this story, these individuals in the story, are representations of deeper realities. While these things really happen, they tell us something deeper about God's relationship with you and I. Read allegorically, it becomes clear that each family in the story, mother and son, represents a covenant. A way of relating to God. And despite what, Ab- what Paul's opponents may have guessed, Hagar, the slave woman, actually represents the Mosaic covenant. Hagar is Mount Sinai, the place that had become synonymous with the Mosaic law. It was, after all, the place that Moses received the law from God. Paul says, Hagar is Mount Sinai. He goes a step further and he says, Hagar represents the present Jerusalem. Again, another reference to his opponents because they were the ones who were coming from Jerusalem. So he says, basically at the heart of his claim is that this group with the law and their requirements for the non-Jewish Christians, they were the ones who were the children of the slave woman. They were the slaves. They were the ones who were outside of God's blessing. How could Paul make such a claim? What connection was there between Hagar's story and the story of those who, who preach righteousness through obedience to the law. According to Paul, anyone who preaches that blessing and right standing with God comes only through the keeping of certain rules is a slave, and outside of the covenant promises of God. But what's the connection? The connection is that Ishmael was the, was born as a result of human efforts. And a lack of faith in God's ability to fulfill his promises. And like Ishmael, anyone who demands that the law be a requirement to be included into the family of God is relying on human efforts. And has a lack of faith in God's ability to fulfill his promises. What happens when we rely on human efforts rather than faith? We become slaves. Because no effort is ever good enough to remove the curse and rule of sin in our lives. Without grace, we are hopeless in our efforts to remove the stain of sin. We are slaves without hope for freedom. But Abraham had two sons. Yes, Ishmael was born into slavery, but Isaac, the child of promise, was born to freedom. The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, Paul writes. In contrast to those who try by human effort and end up enslaved to sin, those who are the children of Sarah are free and belong to the Jerusalem above. This is a reference to the new heavens. It is a reminder that anyone who belongs to the family of God belongs to a new age where there is freedom from sin and death. A new age that was initiated by Christ's new covenant put into place by his blood on the cross. Ever since Christ's death and resurrection, something new has begun. Not only are we able to receive forgiveness for our sins and be accepted as God's children, but we also received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which empowers us and makes us more like Jesus, is a foreshadowing. Of what this new age will be like. In the new age, when it comes in full, we will experience complete fellowship with God. Fellowship that cannot be damaged by sin, fellowship that cannot be lost by death. And even though we currently experience hardship and struggle with sin, our struggle is not in vain because God has secured our victory. So we wait for this new age to come fully. While, and while we wait for this new age to become a full reality, we wait empowered by the Spirit of God to be able to walk and live in freedom. It's fitting then that Paul quotes this passage from Isaiah 54. Summarizing it quickly, Isaiah 54 is basically a passage that that looks forward to the day when God's fellowship will be will be fully experienced by His people. It will be unhindered by sin. It will be unhindered by death. And we, as the people of God, will be able to enjoy God fully. So he quotes this passage and says, Rejoice! That time is coming soon. So we see that this old story about Abraham and about the birth of these sons is actually our story. But our birth into the family of God. And this story, rightly understood, demands a response. It demands that we reject any attempts to enslave us to sin and the law, and it demands that we stand firm in freedom. Look at the last part of this passage. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again the yoke of slavery. If we are to be identified with Isaac as the children of promise, there is a response that is fitting to those who have been freed in Christ. If we have been freed in Christ, then we are to cast out, we are to remove any hindrances to our freedom in Christ. Paul is referring to this time in the story of Abraham when Ishmael mocked Isaac. And it came to be understood that this mocking wasn't just the simple teasing of an older brother, but it was something more harmful. And so it could be said that he was persecuting Isaac. And Paul sees this connection here and he says, just as Ishmael was persecuting Isaac, so it's been the case that you have been persecuted by these people who are trying to add to the law. You see, in adding to the law, these people were essentially trying to withhold them from the promises that God had given them. They were trying to keep them separated from the people of God who were able to inherit all the things that God wanted them to inherit. They were trying to enslave them yet again to the law. So Paul says, these, are, these people are persecuting you looks to the example in the scriptures and he says, what was the response then of Sarah and the family of God? They cast the slave woman out and her son. So basically, as Paul is reading this narrative, he interprets this and applies this to his listeners. And he says, you also should throw those people out. Don't let their teaching infiltrate your church. Don't let them influence you anymore into thinking that you are not the freed people of God throw them out I think it's clear that you and I also have a responsibility as we are hearing these words that if there is any other gospel that minimizes the work of Christ for us that tries to say that you and I are incomplete or that we need to do something in order to receive God's favor well then any of this teaching should be thrown out. If there is anyone who is trying to influence us to add to the gospel of Christ, then we should ensure that their teaching is not influential over us. And what's interesting is that sometimes we ourselves are the ones who are perpetuating or, or, or giving out this kind of teaching. Paul says to us, this kind of teaching is not okay within the family of God. Because it minimizes The work of Christ. Cast out the slave woman and and her son. Throw out anything that hinders us from living as freed people of God. The second response to those who have been identified as children of promise is to stand firm in our freedom. We were set free. Therefore, we shouldn't submit to old masters but should stand firm in our freedom. This is what verse 1 says where it says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. We have been liberated by Christ so that, as one commentator puts it, we might enjoy the freedom of the gospel. And since we have been liberated, we must stand firm in our freedom. It's kind of a simple command that, Because you are free, you're supposed to live as freed people. The problem is that, as we've mentioned before, that this is often more difficult than it sounds. We are often tempted to submit again to the yoke of slavery. To submit to the yoke of slavery is to return once again to the old master who enslaved us. Paul's made this point before that to return to Uh, to, To the law, to return to this idea that the law will provide us with freedom is to actually return to slavery because the law can't save anyone. It only makes us aware of our sin. It doesn't provide a solution. So to return to the law is to return to sin. And to return to the law is to return to the state of hopelessness without any way or resource to free us from our entrapment to sin. Christ has provided another way. In Christ, we have been freed from the curse and punishment of sin, and we've also been freed to live now as faithful children of God. See, those who have been freed by God have also been given His Spirit. And the Spirit of freedom frees us from being under the, the, the power of sin. It frees us to be people who live according to the way that God wants us to live. We have been freed to love God by His Spirit that indwells us. Why then would we willingly submit to the old way of slavery? See, there's a constant battle that all of us face. We are constantly at war with the old way of living and the new way of living that God has called us to. And it's a war. The Christian life is not an easy life of perfection and absolute removal of sin in our lives. And there are times where you and I feel so defeated by sin's hold on our lives. There are times where we feel so hopeless to change to the people that God has called us to be that we've been fighting this fight so long that we've just given up. We've forfeited our fight against sin because we just figure we're going to lose anyway. We've been knocked down so many times that we've lost any desire to stand up and live the way God has called us to live. say, what's the point? Why should we stand up and fight against sin? The reason child of God. It's because you have been saved to freedom. There is no reason for you and I to lose hope in our fight against sin because our freedom has already been secured. We might not get there today, but I promise you that God, the God who was faithful to Abraham is faithful to you and I and as He is doing a work in us, He will finish that work. God is doing this great work in us and sanctifying us and making us whole so that as we fight this battle of sin, we know that we will never lose the war because God has guaranteed our freedom and victory against sin. Don't lose hope, brother or sister, as you fight the battles of sin and try and live lives that are pleasing to God as He is allowing you to do so and calling you to do so. Be encouraged. God has provided His Spirit. He has freed us already from the power of sin so that we might be able to resist temptation and live as people who honor God. We have been freed. Our victory has been guaranteed. God wants us to be able to stand firm in our freedom and live as people who have been free. One of my favorite movies is the first Pixar movie, Toy Story. Most of us know the story. There's a fourth one coming out, and we can debate that later if that's warranted. But it's a movie about the collection of toys owned by a young boy named Andy. In the first film, as many of you know, there's a new toy introduced into Andy's collection, Buzz Lightyear. When I was a child, I wanted a Buzz Lightyear after seeing this film. Buzz Lightyear was the coolest, newest toy, and it was amazing. And during the course of this film, Andy's old toy, Woody, gets jealous, and they have this fight, and they, uh, they, they have this, this, this interesting dynamic between the two of them. And over the course of the film, into the third act, Andy and Woody find themselves trapped in Sid's house. Now, you remember this movie. Sid was a mean, big bully. This kid was a twisted kid. He was the kind of kid that you as parents would want to keep away from your children. His favorite hobby was to take his sister's toys and break their arms off and their legs and other body parts and do sick and twisted things to them and torture them. And somehow the heroes of our story find themselves trapped in his home. Now, one of the things that happens in the movie is that Buzz is dejected. He's questioned who he is and doesn't understand how he could be anything other than just some stupid toy. He's unable to think of a plan with Woody to free themselves from this slavery that Sid has put them in. And then Woody looks at him and says, Listen, Buzz, you've got to understand something about yourself. He says, Look at the bottom of your shoe. Buzz looks down at his shoe and he sees in big capital letters the name Andy. And Woody says to him, You belong to Andy, Buzz. Buzz looks at this and realizes that because he belongs to Andy, he could actually get up and work with Woody to free himself from this sin or from from this trap. See where I'm going with this. I think that you and I are similar to Wood, a Woody and Buzz. You and I have been trapped by sin so long and it seems so big and mean and, and we, we find ourselves struggling to be able to get out of the trap that it's laid for us. We become dejected, We become unsure of who we are, who we've been called to be. The reality is, is that we have to look at the name that has been written on our hearts. God. Just as Buzz belonged to Andy, you, child of God, belong to God. You've been freed. You've been claimed as his own, and because of this, because of this salvation, because of this freedom, you are able to stand firm in your freedom. Paul tells us that if we have been called as the children of God, we were born to freedom, not slavery. Stand firm, saints. Live freed from the power of sin, recognizing that your victory has already been guaranteed by God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news that we are children of freedom, that we were born...